0: This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sennel and I talk with top influencers to explore how the US government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hello, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford, and this week I get to have Eric Montristelli as my co-host. Hi, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. And you actually introduced me to today's guest, Mary Hagee. I listened to your podcast. You interviewed her on Break Fix. And honestly, I'm telling you right now, like, I kind of want to be Mary. She's cool. Like, she has one of the coolest jobs ever. So, let me tell our audience a little bit about Mary. Mary Hagee is a veteran of the U.S. Army. Thank you, Mary, for that. She's a creative entrepreneur, storyteller, civic enthusiast. She conceives, capitalizes, and executes profitable projects that have inspirational entertainment and educational impact across broad audiences. Her current project, Moonmark, and what we're here to talk about today will capture global audiences with the stories of six teams of high school explorers who compete to become the final two that will design, build, land, and race two autonomous vehicles on the moon. Let me just repeat that. She's got a project that has six teams of high school kids who are going to compete to become two teams of finalists that will design, build, land, and race two autonomous vehicles on the moon. They'll communicate peer-to-peer with young people Who will become explorers in space and on earth and open a talent pipeline for the workforce of the future. Welcome, Mary Hagee, CEO of Moonmark.
1: Thanks so much, Carolyn. I really appreciate that introduction.
0: Mary, first of all, let's just start with what is Moonmark. Can you give us an overview?
1: Sure. I mean, what you just described is very much a capsulization, if that's a word, of what we're doing. When you think about Moonmark, the idea really came from the notion that humans right now are on the precipice of commercialization of space. Yes, governments will be involved. They have been involved for 60 years, but also the way that the opportunity for really getting to, whether it's the moon or an asteroid or Mars or Pluto or whatever, we're on that precipice and it's the commercial industries that are going to get us there. We came up with Moonmark and the DNA of Moonmark remains that the high school kids that happen to be that age, human beings that happen to be that age, wherever they are on the face of the earth, they are going to accept stewardship of space exploration. And there are aspects to space exploration that are, I'm gonna call them mistaken paradigms. What I mean by that is because the space industry has really been it's all about the agencies of countries, whether it's NASA, whether it's the Canadian space industry, the European space industry, whatever agency it is. What has occurred is that young people, there's no real access for them to be able to understand that they can be a part of this. So until now, it's been very much about, okay, if you want to go to space, you have to be an astronaut. And if you have to be an astronaut, you have to go through this excruciating process with very high attrition and likely you won't make it and all of that stuff. And that's just not true anymore. That's the good news. It's not true. With Moonmark, at our DNA level, we are creating experiences and opportunities for young people for them to understand that the game has changed, that they can have access to space exploration. And it doesn't have to be one astronaut out of 30,000 applicants. There are all kinds of ways to reach their potential if they're interested in space exploration or exploration in general. That's kind of what we're really all about. It's about accessibility. It's about opportunity. It's about exploration. And it's about A little bit of competition. I used to teach middle school.
0: So I taught 13 year olds and that age and the high school age, they still believe that anything is possible. They still have that sense of wonder and awe for the most part on a daily basis. And what you're doing right now is fostering that. I love that you're doing this for these kids.
1: Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that, Carolyn. And Moonmark has been quite a story in the making (laughs) itself. We've had a lot of spirited discussions, mostly with people in the space industry. Well, Mary, why are you targeting high school students? How do you think that they're going to be able to do what's really needed to put vehicles on the moon and race them from afar and all of the other stuff that's about Moonmark? And you're so spot on, Carolyn. The reason why we decided that the high school age demographic was the right one for us is because they do still have that sense of awe. You know, they haven't been tainted, (laughs) jaded. (laughs) Yeah. The high school kids will absolutely look at this and they'll turn their thinking caps on. And once a student reaches a certain age, she or he becomes skeptical because that's what human beings do. So what we want to do is offer opportunities for those that are like right on the edge of being skeptical. But they're not. They still have the ability to dream big and achieve big. And that is the demographic that we know is the steward of commercialization of space. One of the things that I want to share with you all this morning is a new program that we have called Home on the Moon, and it's going to be a challenge for kids across the world. That age group and also middle school, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all about that, too. We're working with the uh, Aldrin Family Foundation and their curriculum and their experiences and stuff like that. Is it a US based program only or is it worldwide? It absolutely is global. And here is the reason why. When we crafted Moonmark, came up with the idea, and started to really flesh it out, one of the tenets, one of the values that we hold dearest is that no one owns the moon. Every human has experienced the moon in their own way, in their own life. And we, use the moon as a unifying element, a unifying force for people in all cultures, in all locations, because they can see the moon. It's their moon.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know what? I got chills when you said that. Like it made me think of John Lennon's Imagine song, just where we stop trying to own stuff. And you're right. No one owns the moon. I love that.
1: Yeah. It really has given me a lot of inspiration when I think about how we have already and we're going to reach young people across the world and to do it in a way that is meaningful for them and at the same time really challenges them and helps them understand what they can do personally to affect the future. Humans have never been at this place. We've never been at the place where we're really going to go and explore space. I don't mean in any way to detract from the achievements of the people that have gone to space before. It's a Different ball game now. It's a completely different ball game. And if you think about what it must have been like when the Silk Road was created years and years ago. So those people were doing trading and they were exploring new lands and all of that. And that was a real moment in time. Right now, I think the responsibility that we have at Moonmark is to make sure that young people understand how they can not only access the ability to explore space, but also most importantly, the responsibility of making the right kinds of decisions. We don't need to go out there and create wars in space. We got enough of them here, and we've demonstrated pretty strongly how humans can be drawn to those types of situations where it's mine, not yours, and let me fight you for it, or your beliefs are different than mine, and you know all of that. So, what we really want to do, and, and we are doing is integrating the message of responsibility into the experience that we're creating. You don't get to race on the moon unless you really have demonstrated through a series of structured experiences and things like that, that you understand the responsibilities and the potential consequences of what you're doing.
2: So let's circle back and talk about how we got to this point. Because Mary, if anybody dives into your background, obviously acclaimed Philadelphia businesswoman, military veteran, you've worked with veterans in the past, journalism, broadcast, television, all these fun things that we even covered on the episode that we did together. I remember specifically, there's a story, there's a turning point, there's a threshold that you crossed, they got you to space, and it wasn't watching real runs of Star Trek. So how do you go from the army and the IT world and the business world to Moonmark?
1: Thank you for that question, Eric. There are certain people in the world, and I'm one of them, that has a compulsion. And for me, it's a joyous one. That is that I really, really love being in the startup space. I love creating ideas, ideation, rumination, creation, and execution. So a couple of years ago, I didn't have anything to do on a Saturday afternoon, so I went to a high school robotics competition. I had gone there because, number one, I wanted to enjoy the experience, and number two, I I really wanted to see the kids in action. So I go there and one of my favorite moments was the folks gave me a group of kids, a team that was competing that day. One of them said to me, you know, we're talking and why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Mary, do you want to see the pit? And I was like, oh yeah, I want to see the pit. And so they took me to the pit as there is in, in racing there's the pit that the team is working on the car. And it it was just really incredible to me. We of course went there and they explained to me everything that they were doing. Um, How they had built this robot over a six week period And now they were at the first competition and how they were going to win it. That was just so influential for me. And when I left that day with, you know, a very happy heart, I thought, well, whatever I do next, I need to work with young people again, which I had done in the past. But then I've done a couple of other things in the meantime. And I said, yeah, it's important to me that I work with this group of kids, this age demographic, because they haven't become skeptical yet, as we were saying earlier. That's how it actually started and didn't have any idea what I was going to do to make that happen. But when that happens for me, when I have an experience like that, it means that I must listen. I must listen to what I'm supposed to hear. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's hard because sometimes you just want to put the puzzle piece together and say, "Oh, well, that that clicked." That never happens for me. (laughs) So I started with listening, and that's how I was drawn into the notion of space, which I've not been a part of my professional life. And I started learning about it and understanding where we are as a human species, and saying, "Okay." All right, there's something here. And so that's how it's going.
2: So Carolyn, this is actually a really important point that she's getting to here. And this goes back to the episode that you and I did together. And that has to do with all this telemetry and all this Mm -hmm. data and the crossover and the intersection between, let's say, the racing world and even this, the space world with technology. Mary and her team... And the kids can't do what they do without being invested in, in different facets of technology. And that technology spans not just sitting behind a keyboard and programming out what these robots and these race cars are going to do. It's the engineering. It's the science. It's the mathematics. It's the Thermodynamics, it's the aerodynamics, it's all these things that we talked about before. And it's amazing how STEM extends itself and how many different programs, applications, and pieces of technology you need to make this all work. I can see Mary bringing her vast experience in that world to the table as well. And it makes the transition a little bit
0: easier. We're in a place in human history where all of this is converging. So you're bringing in the technology piece of it. And I'm thinking about how you refer to me as the meat behind the wheel. (laughs) And so, so Mary, I'm thinking about you, the meat here, the brain, your brain bringing all this telemetry in these ideas and coming up with Moonmark, the technology piece, but then the brain piece, that's the ultimate piece of technology, right?
1: I do want to call out what you said and Eric just said, which is you don't get to the moon and you sure don't get to race and you sure don't get to leave a scientific experiment there that's going to last for the next 30 years. You don't do that without the skill set of theme. We have had some interesting conversations with folks about, no, it's STEM, Mary. No, it's steam. The A (laughs) is the arts and the arts are, for example, we're working with Frank Stephenson in London, who is a world renowned auto designer. He cannot create a Ferrari or a Maserati or, you know, a McLaren. He can't do any of that if he doesn't understand the other aspect, or be able to call upon science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. In bringing together what we know to be a very compelling experience and opportunity for young people, it's very, very much also about what skills are you drawn to what skills do you need to learn or want to learn? And how do they affect your future? And how does your future affect the future of humankind? Mm. It very, very much is an amalgam. We happen to be at some place where we've got an acronym. <laughs> right? I like
0: your acronym, got acronym the best. I like STEAM. I've <laughs> never heard that. The A is so important. The creative part, the art part, you're right. It can't happen without that piece.
2: The A is silent. It's like French. (laughs) 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 But Mary, you hit on something really, really important, which is I feel like in projects like this, technology is a more broad term. It's not just IT, there's technology of mechanics, there's the technology of electronics, the technology of different things. So I wonder, you know, when you look at this as people are building these machines to go on the moon, how much do you think old technology is being rediscovered and how much of it is future-proofing? Things that we want to last, as you said, the next 30 years. An example I'll bring up, ancient technology, sometimes people forget, like, you know, how are we going to move water from this lower level to the upper level? Well, there's something known as Archimedes' screw. We don't want to reinvent the wheel, but we want to take that type of old technology and modernize it. Mm-hmm. So how does that work in this arena when you're talking about vehicles on the moon?
1: That's a great question, Eric. One of the things that we are really, really proudest of and for me has been such a joyous part of the journey. Journey here is that we have existing technology. It possibly can work on the moon, or it possibly cannot work on the moon. So an example of that is the requirement for data transmission. We watched the astronauts walk on the moon. We've seen video of the rovers that are up there and things like that. We're very, very much about capturing the journeys of these young people. Obviously, a critical part of the journey is the race on the moon. What we did not expect is that the technology does not exist for anything to be able to be captured and brought back in a form that people would watch. It's very useful. To have the data streams right now for scientific purposes, it's very useful and very effective. For us, understanding that we can't really capture and bring back what we need or we couldn't was like, well, wait a minute. Number one, this is something we need to solve for that we didn't expect. And number two, equally importantly, if not more importantly is solving for that acceleration in technology that may not have occurred if we had not been here and said we need this. It will enable future explorers to have more capability in a more timely fashion than exists. Now, like you're saying, Eric, when you were talking, I was thinking about cranes. You were talking about water distribution, but uh-huh. the same thing, you know, who came up with cranes? I watched this wonderful documentary about cranes, and it was fascinating. So, humans continue to develop capabilities that affect, hopefully positively, the larger scale of life and potential. And that's one of the things that we are charging our young people to do. Yeah, yeah, you get to go race on the moon, but there are all of these other things that are involved. And here's your backpack of responsibility. And you're not going to get there unless you fill that backpack and you put those pieces out when they're needed to be put out.
0: So I want to know, has the program started? And let's talk a little bit about logistics, how participants are chosen and teams are narrowed down. And what's the timeline of the whole program?
1: We're talking in September of 2021. The goal that we had been marching towards relentlessly was to launch a rocket and a lander and land and race, in October of 2021. There's a couple of things that have happened. This is just a moment in time when there's a confluence of stuff going on. And that confluence, it is For sure. And it's also a shift in the space industry. Talk about COVID for a moment. As we were talking earlier about having young people participate and compete in Moonmark, there's a requirement that when we get to the six teams, they got to be in the same place and they got to be competing. That's not possible (laughs) right now. Physically in the same space. Oh, yes. Physically in the same space. Okay, so we we will have a lot of teams that are competing virtually, but then we when we get to the six teams that have to compete, they have to be together. Got it. COVID over the last year and a half has just barked our shins on every front. If we were doing it in the United States, it would be difficult enough. What parents want to send their kids in the middle of a pandemic to Houston Johnson Space Center? Not many. That would be hard enough. Having the requirement of global participation has really been a challenge for us. And so that is one impact of COVID. And it's been meaningful. It has required us to come up with Virtual challenges that will enable us to continue to interact with kids all over the world and at the same time keep them safe. To me, job one is keep them safe. That's one impact of COVID. Another impact of COVID, which you probably have heard about, but bears, you know, mention here is that COVID affected the global supply chain. And so what's happened is that with this impact in the global supply chain, if you need a microchip or you need this particular kind of part for a lander or you need this kind of rocket, whatever it is, the global supply chain has just slowed everything to a snail's pace. Mm -hmm. So when we were supposed to go up in October of this year, it wasn't only that how do we get kids in the same blah blah blah? That part is pretty understandable, but also our space partners, everything has shifted to a later date. And oftentimes, in this case, to answer your question or attempt to answer your question about when is it gonna happen? Gemini Christmas can somebody tell me. Um, <laughs> because I wanna know when the gate opens, I wanna know when the rocket goes up. I'm I want to know when the lander, and it's just really been a really fascinating part of the journey to manage that operationally, manage that in communications and things like that. But that's where we are. Can our listeners
0: track this on the website, moonmark.space, just see what the status is and follow it that way? Is that the best way to do it?
1: Oh sure or they could just maybe go out the back door, you know, on a Saturday night and say, "What is that noise?" There's a noise. "Oh, it's Mary yelling when the launch is going to be." <laughs> I like hey. that method the best. Let's let's go with that
0: method. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more question before we hit the tech talk questions. So Mary, you mentioned a few things like the impact of this competition on future exploration. I think there's going to be unforeseeable impacts on the future of technology because of this contest. Are there things that you expect to be impacted as far as the future of technology because of this contest?
1: Yes. One of them, which is crucial, is communication. And we talked about that a little bit earlier and the ability to accelerate technology in that area is one that we are keen to do and believe will have big impact. And talk about the
0: beginning of time, like communication is a challenge and has always been a challenge, right? How do you see communications being improved? I mean, you mentioned just the ability to show the race in a way that people want to watch it. Is that one way? Yes, of course.
1: That's one way, but there are other elements involved. It's a matter not only of capturing the quality of data that we need for MoonMark on the moon, but also the ability to be able to transfer it back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in ways that are efficient and effective. So, when you think about explorers in the future, we do have this upcoming challenge called Home on the Moon. And year one is going to be okay, you're going to build a home on the moon. What's that mean? You got to have mm-hmm. an HVAC system. You know, are humans going to be there? Do we need humans there? There are a lot of aspects that are driven by technology. And we're coming up with challenges that really are intended to drive technology. And are those challenges and all on your website? That one is not there. I mean, that one is like in my back pocket. You guys got an exclusive.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, we we need to move to the Tech Talk questions now. Eric, do you want to take the first one? Sure. All right.
2: All right Mary, I know this is a tough one. So what do you think is the next big leap in tech? We look forward to Star <laughs> Trek technology all the time. Throw,
1: throw, throw it throw it on me there, Eric. Remember I'm in the A and Steam.
2: So that's why I was making leap. the Star Trek reference because you know, we look back 30, 40 years, even longer, you know, back to the 60s, so the original stuff and it's like, "Oh, are we going to be communicating on handheld devices? Are we going to have these tablets, these pads, you know, things like that?" I think we've surpassed some of that technology now, but What's the next big leap? What's the next big thing that you see from your perspective?
1: Uh, I know this is a technology question, but this is the A and me talking. I think the next leap is for humans to understand that they need to put their ego aside. Mm -hmm. And by that, what I mean, you know, when we think about building a home on the moon, the natural inclination, the paradigm that we have is that humans will be there. And, you know, a lot of the space companies that we know and appreciate their work, well, we're going to have tourism on the moon. We're going to go up there and we're mining on the moon. And it's a stepping stone to Mars and beyond. And the leap that I would hope we might be able to inform is that humans don't need to go to space and walk on the moon and and mine the moon and or asteroids or Mars or wherever in order for commercialization of space to take place and one that is peaceful in nature and useful in nature. I don't know if that's going to happen, Eric, because humans aren't good at putting aside their egos. If we could think about how to effectively do what we need to do in order to commercialize space, at this point in time, I'm talking about in the 2020s. The 2070s are going to be a different thing, but now 2020s and looking at a leap, it would be most useful for people to embrace that things can be done without destroying people.
0: Hmm. Now that, that is a leap I want to see take place. All right. Next question. When it comes to technology, what is inspiring you? So what are you reading or listening to or watching like TV, movies, podcasts? What inspires you?
1: The future really inspires me. I pay close attention. As I mentioned earlier here, the space has not been my industry and my career, but I've come to learn so much more about it and especially about this moment in time. So what inspires me is trying to understand and create ways for humans to go down this journey and do it in a way that has meaning and impact. And that comes from so many places. I don't have like a reading list I can give you. It just comes from a lot of places. In the expanse of that space, birds, okay, biology and how biology inspires design and history, of all of the places and all of the achievements that humans have done and where we are right now and and really just understanding complexities around that and how to build meaningful and impactful actions from it. I'm an action person. That's Eric will tell you that.
2: That is for sure. And I will say this, you know, I was kind of thinking about it because our next question revolves around, you know, what's your favorite app and your gadget? And you have to kind of put that into context because if you and I were sitting at the paddock, We'd probably either be praising or lamenting onboard telemetry data to tell you how fast your Mercedes is. But <laughs> in reality, in your day to day life, we're all surrounded by tech. And so, I guess the question is, what is your favorite piece of tech or gadget that you use, or something that you're interested in putting on your wish list?
1: Wow, that's a good one. I've really like to meet a robot. Oh, like, like, that's like what I'd data? Like to do.
2: Or are we talking seven of nine? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm full of Star Trek references today.
1: Nope, it's a 2021 robot. Elon Musk and SpaceX have just come out with their robot. What I would like to do is I would love to spend time understanding how this robot works because this robot or any other, it was meaningfully developed in a human form. And I'm not sure really why, but the notion of being able to spend time with this piece of equipment that also has artificial intelligence and also can solve problems that don't require humans to put their lives at risk. That would be my dream. What would yours be?
2: I grew up in this sci-fi, it's called a it fantasy world. Like I said, I've seen a lot of this technology come to actual fruition, but there are still some of those technologies that, that kind of frighten me, kind of scare me a little bit. I mean, you foreshadowed what my mind would race to think about the Terminators and Skynet mm-hmm. and things like that, where it's like autonomous androids or cyborgs. And I see it on both sides where it's like, it would be really cool to have that as my pet and then I could educate it and, you know, have it react to me and, you know, get up in the morning and just talk to it or whatever. But then there's the other side. It's like it becomes a tool. It becomes a device that can be used for an advantage. And it, I don't know, there's a scary side to all of this. So I'm with you. I'm kind of curious to see what the future brings us. It's not going to be devoid of, of any of the things we talked about, whether it be mechanics, engineering, electronics, programming, etc. We're all going to have to contribute to the success of these types of platforms. They're definitely not created in a vacuum. And we can't forget about The A part of this, as you mentioned, because nobody wants to talk to an ugly robot, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) An ugly robot. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm all about that. I do have to say the notion of a robot is very much to me a tool and a piece of equipment. I've done a lot of work in studying sentience, which is a human trait, mm-hmm. and if we continue to understand and believe and build on what our human strengths are, then the robots, I believe, will become tools and they'll become equipment and they already are. It's not like I want to watch the, what is the movie, She, where he falls in love with the AI character Mm -hmm. or whatever. That's not real. The realities of what we face today in this world and in the worlds that we will come to explore have to have our integrity filled sentience. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is your robot
0: doesn't necessarily have to be sexy. Eric needs a sexy one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> <Never miss. laughs> I, 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 I didn't, I didn't go that far. I did not go that far. I wouldn't turn down a sexy robot.
2: I just don't want it to turn into an episode of black mirror. If you've watched that show, you know, exactly oh it's <laughs> so, so
0: good. And I have to say, you know, I'm with Eric. There's, there's a super scary side to this and you know what? This is why we need people like you, Mary Hagee, doing what you're doing. You have this vision, you're a creator, you're an artist, just listening to you talk about your inspiration coming from the birds. And that is coming from the mind of a true creator. And we need this to lead technology and to get us to the next big leap. So thank you so much, Mary, for being here today. What a pleasure.
2: And thank you to Carolyn for having me on this week's Tech Transforms to fill in for her co-host Mark Senell. And a parting thought about my dear friend Mary: if I could summarize her in a simple phrase, I would say she's imagination personified.
1: Oh, thank you both for having me. I I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary, again.
0: Thank you, listeners, for joining us this week. Visit our show notes for links to the topics we've discussed. For more about Mary's Moonmark project, you can go to moonmark.space. Please share today's episode and smash that like button. And we will talk next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.